Well, hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. Today's intro is being recorded in beautiful Wells, British Columbia, because I'm here on holidays. I'm enjoying, no, I'm basking in the peace and stillness. <laughs> Except dude over there just started up a lawnmower. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of, kind of just like being in the city. <laughs> nah, it's, it's so quiet. And oh my gosh, the stars last night when you, I'm standing up here on this little balcony at the place we're staying. And last night at midnight, looking up at the sky, there were a few clouds, but mostly the sky is just awash with stars. And you forget when you're in the city, you forget how many are up there and how vast it is, and how very, very insignificant I am. We enjoyed our day in Barkerville yesterday, and everything, of course, is different here in these COVID times. But we made the most of the situation with the, the historical interpreters each being stationed at um, individual places. So, because it's one family at a time in each exhibit, we kind of took advantage of that, and uh, if there was no one if there was nobody coming up behind us, we were like, okay, I'm going to talk to this person as long as I possibly can. So we got to ask as many questions as we wanted and get chatting about anything we wanted. We, we learned so much. And then last night, I got to be involved in a play reading at the Sunset Theatre uh, because a couple of the actors are friends and they knew I was coming to town. So they, they were looking for a fourth woman to be involved in this play. It was W-R-O-L, Without Rule of Law by Michaela Jeffrey. Um, we had a rehearsal on Friday night, about an hour after I arrived in town. And uh, the playwright was there chatting through her experience in previous productions and talking through all the characters and stopping and starting as we read through the play. And last night, just... What an easy way to do a socially distant performance. So there were four women and one man in the cast, and then another actor was there reading the stage directions. And I swear the audience was just as emotionally engaged with the play as if it had been a fully staged production. I mean, we certainly were. We each felt so connected to our characters. It's just a, a really important piece, beautifully written by Michaela, and I was absolutely thrilled and honored to be part of it. You know, I cut off at a really awkward moment last week, and next week, of course, is the final episode. I won't be taking a break in the podcast. I'm going to have uh, uh, two or three episodes with chats with cool people. I hope you enjoy that. So I will not keep talking. And now, chapter 17. Gatekeeper's Key by Krista Wallace. Chapter 17. Madness. Kier pressed herself against the building. The throng of people closed in. Defend yourselves, but do not kill, Derry ordered. Spread them out. Fennel, on it, Captain. The crowd surged and the company plunged in, fanning out in an effort to change their focus, distract them so Fennel could get to the bell. 
Death to the strangers, came the cry again. Kill them! Go home, Derry returned as he pressed forward, dodging blows and slapping legs with the flat of his blade. If he could locate the one giving the order to kill, he might be able to take control of the situation. Janik flung himself into the crowd. The villagers had knives, heavy sticks, rocks, pots and pans, anything they could get their hands on to use as weapons. He used the side of his axe to push people and knock them over, for the most part successful at keeping his blade from contact, less success at avoiding their weapons. He cursed his bad eye and wiped blood off his forehead. It was exceedingly difficult to defend himself without hurting anyone. Fennel darted around to the left of the crowd, trying the most direct route to the bell. When a heavy blow took him on his already wounded shoulder, pain shot down to his knees and he wilted, dropping his bow. Regaining his footing, he turned to his assailant, astonished to recognize the first dazed woman they'd met on their way into Nenya. She was again raising her weapon, a heavy clay urn. "'Not fair!' Fennel swerved away from the blow. "'I'm not allowed to kill you!' Picking up his bow from the muddy ground, he struck her in the back of the neck with it, and she fell to the mud. "'Death! Kill them!' came the cry again, this time from up on the platform. Derry went in pursuit, thankful that the villagers' weapons were no match for his armor. A new dent, though. He reached the platform, but the man had jumped down into the crowd, and Derry lost him. Jaskelin wove through the throng, knocking weapons to the ground and racking his mind for a useful spell. He wrestled an axe out of someone's hand and threw a smoke bomb over the square. The effect was not at all what he had expected. Instead of calming their rage, it sent the crazed villagers into a fury. A woman climbed up onto the remains of the platform, shrieking, "'Dragons! Dragons are attacking!' Others joined in the cry. The smoky mist swirled around as the frenzied people ran in all directions, flailing their makeshift weapons savagely and screaming. A light rain started to fall. Kier kept her back to the inn so she couldn't be surrounded. She watched the others move into the crowd and draw the villagers' attention. She picked up a couple of rocks and tossed them at two of the people coming at her, putting them off. Through the rain and the smoke, Kier could hardly make out her friend's positions any more, but she had no time to search for them. A woman hefted a large rock and flung it at Kier's head. Derry peered past a woman in a black dress. There he is. He surged forward and grabbed the man who looked up at him in terror and screamed, Kill! Kill! The strangers! Derry twisted him around and put his hand over the man's mouth. Pain shot into his hand as the man bit him, and Derry recoiled. "'Death!' his assailant cried, brandishing a rusty short sword. "'Don't make me do this!' Derry thought. He whisked rain off his face and drew. Fennel climbed onto the platform where the dragon woman was pulling stones from the pockets of her skirts and winging them into the crowd. She had a very good arm. He arrested her actions by hauling her down, but others picked up her rocks from the ground and were now throwing them back to the platform. One of the rocks caught the elf on the ear as it whizzed by, which confirmed his suspicion that this was not where he wanted to be. The dragon woman clambered to her feet with a knitting needle in her hand. Fennel screamed as she drove it into his shoulder wound. He plowed a fist into her face and she plummeted backwards. Then he fell to his knees. The stone wall bruised Kier's elbow as she stepped back against it. 
A man came at her with a club, and she kicked him in the groin, sending him down. A woman with an iron pot ended up getting it on her own head, and it rolled up against the wall of the inn near Kier's feet. A tall, thin man had a coiled rope and was trying to throw it around her. She dodged, but he rewound it and tossed again. It was an impressive trick, but this was not the time to admire it. He was getting more accurate with each try. As the rope came down the third time, she caught it with her sword and pulled back and down, the keen edge of her blade slicing right through the rope. Cursing, the man jumped on her, knocking her into the side of the stone building. Her sword flew from her hand and she was winded. They slid to the ground. She lay on her back with the man on top of her. Her wounds, not fully healed, seared and snatched air from her lungs. He pushed himself up to a sitting position. He tried to grab her head to pound it into the ground, but gasping for breath, she tilted it out of his way. She drew up her knee, seized the dagger from her boot, and embedded the blade in his left thigh. He screamed and grabbed the wound. She pushed him off into the dirt. The rain pelted down. The turmoil in the square mounted. Jeskelin ran about wildly, casting clumsiness spells and trying to pull people away from each other, but he was on the wrong side of the square, away from the bell. Just like the day before, the villagers fought and flailed like automatons, as if they did not remember why they were fighting, only that they were meant to be angry and to hurt someone. They had begun to wield blows on whoever happened to be nearest. Someone blindsided him and he hurtled against the well. Stars circled his head. Janet growled in fury as a crazed woman tried to jerk his battle-axe from his grasp. He pushed her forehead with the flat of his hand, and it was enough to throw her off balance. Something smashed into the side of the dwarf's head, and he fell, groaning as his assailant stepped on him. Fennel squeezed his eyes shut on a deep breath and yanked the knitting needle out. A fresh trickle of blood discolored his armor. He dragged himself to his feet and lurched across the platform. Jumping off the other side, he fell and rolled, then crawled over to the crude bell tower. Clutching his shoulder, he struggled up the ladder and clung to it. Wincing with pain, he reached up to grab the rope, only to find his hand grasping at air. Panting, he looked way up to the bell. The rope was gone. Oh, no! Kier staggered to her feet and couldn't find her sword. Someone had picked it up where it had fallen from her hand. Leaning against the inn, she tried to catch her breath and looked about the crowd for her weapon. People were everywhere, yelling, panicking, hitting one another. The rain hammered the smoke into the ground. Her attention was diverted by a large man with arms of a blacksmith setting himself up before her. He held her sword confidently in his enormous hands. Her dagger was stuck in the thin man's leg out of her reach. Hurry up, Fennel! Her eyes met those of the blacksmith, and she felt the blood drain from her face. He was capable of killing her if she didn't act. She leaned down and grabbed the iron pot. The burly man approached, her sword gripped in both his hands. The pot was ridiculous and insignificant in hers. She braced herself. Fennel clung to the ladder and looked out over the square, breathing heavily and wondering what to do. It was utter mayhem. At first he couldn't find any of his friends, but at last he made out Jeskelin running about waving his arms until a man drove into him with his shoulder. The mage went headlong into the side of the well and fell to the ground. Janik was nowhere in sight. Derry's sword rang, and Kier... 
he somehow made it down the ladder with a single idea. Lurching a few paces from the bell tower, he leaned against the house there and knocked an arrow into his bow. Derry fainted and blocked the man's strike and hoped only to keep him too busy to scream at the crowd. They didn't need more goading. They had gone mad. Crash! Derry felt the jolt of the sword's impact run down his arm. Just defend, he told himself. Keep him occupied long enough. Unidentified objects flew past his head. The man's lightning-fast twist and swipe took Derry by surprise, and his instinctive reaction was a poke at the attacker's forearm. He had obviously been a swordsman at one time. Hurry up, Fennel! Kier focused on the blacksmith. Don't allow him to get set and take initiative. Keep him moving, said Valraker in her memory. Combined with your speed and coordination, you can outmaneuver almost anyone, even those with greater reach or strength than yourself. Her own blade hung above her head and began its descent. She leaped to the side. The blade hit the ground with a thud. The blacksmith, his back now to the inn, didn't bother raising the weapon all the way, but swung it around on a horizontal arc. She flattened herself to the ground and felt the rush of air move the hair on her forehead. Kier flung the pot at the barrel chest. He shifted, and it missed him, clanging against the stone wall of the building behind him. Stepping forward, he stomped a foot on her belly, pinning her down and taking her breath away. <gasps> With both hands on the hilt, point downward, he raised her sword and bellowed a war cry. She struggled to roll, to sit up, to kick. No result. Her stare never left the sword tip aimed directly at her. The bell rang with a weak clang, clang, then stronger another clang, clang. The blacksmith gave his head a shake, stumbled, and let go of her sword. Kier veered to the right and batted at the weapon as it dropped to the ground. The blade cut through her sleeve and gashed her left forearm. Wincing, she grasped the wound and pushed herself up to see Fennel aim yet another arrow at the bell. He missed the shot. The villagers had not been fully affected by the meager rings. Kier snatched up her sword and grabbed the iron pot again. Holding it aloft, she banged it over and over with the hilt of her weapon. The pot rang with a joyful peal, the repetition mimicking the rhythm and timbre of the bell. The blacksmith, his expression transformed from hatred to vague sleepiness, turned abruptly and walked away with evenly paced steps. Kier leaned heavily against the inn and watched as all the villagers switched mood and let their weapons fall. They were blind to the carnage for which they had been responsible. She despised them for it. Those who were not injured to the point of immobility turned abruptly from their battles and staggered or drifted toward their homes. The smell of chalky smoke lingered, mingled with the aroma of mud, fear, blood, and hatred. The tall man still lay near her, her dagger jutting out of his thigh. She was gripped with a desire to kick him, to scream at him. She stepped toward him, teeth clenched. Not his fault. Instead, she drew her dagger gently out, and blood oozed from his leg. You were about to hammer my head into the ground, she said. He responded with a glazed stare. She drew the dagger across his trousers, leaving a brownish-red stripe and resheathed it in her boot. She looked over again at Fennel, who smiled weakly and waved. Then he dropped to the ground. She jammed her sword into its scabbard and ran over to him. 
Jeskelin regained his footing and wandered through the debris, stepping over prostrate villagers and assorted household weaponry. He came upon a familiar form. Crouching, he rolled Janik over, and the dwarf groaned. Damn, I was hoping I wasn't still here. Sorry, old friend. The mage assisted him to his feet, and together they began attending to the wounded. When the bell rang, Derry lowered his sword. He bent, resting his hands on his knees, allowing himself a moment's rest. Reaching down, he gave his worthy opponent a hand up from the mud where Derry's swipe to the back of the knees had placed him. "'Go home now, sir,' Derry said, unable to keep the pleading from his voice. Never had he been so thankful for a battle to end. He watched Jeskelin help Janik to his feet. The captain rubbed the back of his head, where a lump was forming, and examined a small cut on his hand. Could have been worse. It was a good thing he— Emma. Derry raced back to the inn, nearly tripping over a supine man with a nasty thigh wound. He flung open the door. Physiker adept though he was, he had never seen so much blood. Mother and babe were heaped in the middle of it. Both were dead, crumpled on the floor in a pool of black and red. Derry surveyed the horrific scene in a daze, impotent, inept. He tasted bile, felt his guts swell, and staggered outside. He vomited into the mass of cobwebs under the window. He cleared his throat and spat. Coward! Stealing himself, he went back inside. He mustn't hide from it. He must commit the image to memory. He sat on the floor up against the wall and stared at the dead girl, white with pain, her tiny babe blue with suffocation, both red with blood. Can I come out now? The physic captain looked up, startled to see little Sasha's face peeking around from the staircase, her eyes wide with fear. He knew it was all wrong, her being there. She had already seen what she should not, but all he could say was, You had better go. She walked past him and went out into the square. Derry no longer had the strength to stem the flow of tears and allowed his grief and anguish to spill over. Kier dragged Fennel to some place with more light, all the while seething with anger. Someone had planned this. Someone was laughing at the thought of all these people trying to kill each other. And us. She laid the elf in the mud and knelt next to him. She found the wound, a bit relieved that it wasn't a new one, though she feared there was even more damage this time. Her only consolation was that they'd managed to stop the mayhem in time. In time for what? If every soul in the village had survived the battle, she'd have been surprised. Kier slung Fennel's arm over her shoulder and hoisted him up. How long would it take for the poisons to wear off? Could someone incite them again in the meantime? Fennel roused enough to walk along. Sprinkled all around were vestiges of the battle. The two stepped over or around pots, a kettle, stones, a tin cup, an axe, a wagon wheel, a bellows. As they approached the inn, the door opened and Sasha came out, looking all around, her face pale. Then Kier remembered who else they had left indoors. She darted a glance round the square. "'Where's Derry?' she called to Jeskelin. The mage shrugged. He's inside. Sasha's tone told Kier that something was very wrong. Fennel, 
Kier asked. I need to rest anyway, the elf replied. Go! Kier leaned him against a cart and ran. She slipped into the inn. The physiker looked up at her with an ashen face. He was using the reddened blanket like a large rag, gathering it around a heaped form. Derry, is, is everything all right? Her friend looked up at her again, and she knew the answer. I made the wrong... He hesitated, then spoke with a low, firm voice, fighting to contain his emotion. They did not survive. Kier stood over him, saw the pain in his eyes, the sorrow, and self-blame. She felt her jaw lock in position as she thought about the battlefield dotted with injured people who needed the physicker's care. The faces of the men who had wanted to hurt her, and almost succeeded. Then their fixated stares, once it was over, and Derry. Something began to bubble inside her. Innocent victims, Derry said, and I could have... He pressed his fingertips between his eyes. A strangled, choking sound fluttered through Kier's throat, startling Derry. She wanted to say something. She tried to, but no words came. So much pain. Instead, she spun around and walked out. Hunter pondered his situation as he took a bite of breakfast by a stream. He'd lucked into a decent position, to be sure. Clearly the chief recognized someone of value when he saw him. The rest of the men... Well, it was to be expected that respect from them wouldn't be instantaneous. Was it worth the effort? Not that he had much choice. Still, he was not bereft of skill or talent, and it would be just as easy to find a similar position, or create one, one that did not put him in line with those sanctimonious bastards of Valrakers. Did he really want to align himself with someone? It was too soon. No, he'd go back to Ronav's headquarters and collect the few belongings he'd left there, then move on. Hunter mounted his horse and continued south at a trot, rejuvenated by his new plan. Kier spared a glance for the body-littered square, where Jaskelin, Janik, and even Fennel were lifting wounded out of the muck and carrying them toward the inn, leaving them outside the door to await Derry's attention. Some revived enough to wander off. A pregnant woman waddled along, one hand using the platform for support. Kier frowned. There are far too many pregnant women in this village. Giving little Sasha a quick hug where she hovered at the side of the inn, Kier strode unswervingly across the square to the hillside with a circle of black stone statues. The woods lay below, concealing... who? She thought about the reaction of the men she killed in the woods the day before. She'd taken them by surprise, of course, but it was more than surprise. It was more like shock. She had never seen either man before, but they, sure as death, had recognized her. And there was only one place she could think of where a bunch of ruffians might have seen her before, such that they never expected to see her again. She stalked down the hillside, her memory taking her back to that particular interchange. A demand. Where has he sent you? What is required of you? Her response while bleeding onto the floor. It has nothing to do with you. How do you know? Aha. She stopped at the place where she'd killed the second man and crouched down. 
This time she felt no one watching her, but her senses were alive. Someone was there. She knew it like she knew every Wepnian movement, like she knew that Halidan was not her true name, like she knew that Derry must not feel as if he'd failed on this mission. She rose, turning slowly around, and walked toward the woods. There, at the far end of the clearing, nestled in behind some dense cedars, was a little stone house. She stared at it, ears straining. She hadn't heard anything. But a soundless voice inside her head told her who was in that house. Ronav! she yelled into the heavy stillness. Ronav Malachite! Get out here! Face to face. He was taller than she expected. He had been seated when she saw him before. They stared at each other, mirroring each other's hatred. The rain had stopped, and the fog plunged into the valley once more. Ronav's voice was like the ring of steel in the hushed murk. How did you get them to stop? There are other ways to make a bell ring, she replied, even when the rope's been taken. Nice trick, though, trying to get the villagers to take us out for you. He gave a small, sarcastic bow. How did you know it was I? Kier shrugged. You told me yourself, only I forgot at the time. Your entertainment put it out of my mind. She eyed the terrain for obstacles. He stood very still, smirking. That was a clever exit. Where did you go? Into thin air, she said mysteriously, and Ronav looked a little uncomfortable. Grinning, she flexed her fingers. Who killed Carver? Was it you? No, that was my new deputy. You'd like him. He's much better looking than Khan. I've learned that looks don't count for much, she said. So is it Dregor you're trying to impress? Trying? I already have. Ronav shrugged with fake modesty. He's that impressed by you taking advantage of a bunch of helpless villagers. His standards must be pretty low. Kier could see his jaw tighten. You poison them so they're all half asleep. You rape all their women. You skewer a harmless father. What a threat they pose. Quite a show of prowess for your lord and master. Ronav floundered. You have no idea what... Would you like me to write a testimonial? Dear Dregor, Ronav Malachite is very brave. He needed just eight men to overpower me when I was without a weapon. Yours true- Bitch! I get that a lot. His saber caught the light as he drew it. I suppose Valraker likes that about you. Kier laughed as her hand became one with her hilt and released her blade from its confines. As a matter of fact, I think he does. Ronav casually waved his sword this way and that, as if testing its balance. See? We all have our questionable loyalties, she sneered, some more so than others. Oh, don't be so sure, my girl. Bullshit, she said. Is it? I understand your big plan for the future is to overthrow them. Too bad I stole your weapons and your interesting piece of jewelry. In an instant, Ronav's sword was pointing at her chest, and Kier reacted swiftly to block it. He began circling, and Kier matched him step for step. I needed that device, he said. You think looks don't count for much? Maybe looks don't. 
but appearances do. Your hero and his friend Kian Barthelon don't have the noble intentions they pretend to. He lunged, and she parried his point and stepped aside. Kier scoffed. And yours are so much better? They circled each other in the dim light. At least I'm honest. Is that what you call it? Testing his sword skills, she darted forward to slash at his knee, which he dodged, but she noted his imprecise timing. The pulse in Kier's temple throbbed, and she gave her head a shake. Her Wepnian training took over, and her breathing calmed. The wounds he had inflicted upon her were nothing, ceased to exist in this moment. Ronav must have noticed a change come over her, for alarm dashed across his face. If I'm so evil, he said with a grin, why don't you kill me? Kier held her sword parallel with the ground. Her knees were bent, her core strong. Derry made me promise I wouldn't kill you. He wants to take you to see Valraker. So you're here as Val's good little knight to make me submit to your will. How quaint! Calm fury stirred in Kier's gut. She darted forward, right shoulder flexing as she slashed her blade left to right. He sidestepped and parried. They backed up to the ready position again. Emma's dead, you know. She died giving birth this morning. Ronav feigned a pitiable sigh and shook his head. How sad! Kier's hatred roiled. I'll bet your mother is proud. Ronav suddenly flung himself at her in a deep, forceful lunge. Her point down, she knocked his saber to the left, and his momentum threw him off balance. She stumbled slightly, but took advantage of his left side being open and darted in, kicking him in the groin. Ronav tumbled, rolled, and was back on his feet, steadying himself well out of her reach. She moved in again, forcing him closer to a tree, something else for him to keep track of. Who was the father, Ronav? Was it you? No, it was Khan. With a touch of pride, he added, We managed to convince her father that he had done it himself, though. Kier stopped moving. His soothing tone brought home to her how twisted and gnarled was this grotesque man's view of right and wrong. That tone had tortured her just a few short nights ago. That twisted view was responsible for all she had endured that night and everything that was behind this mission. A strange sensation filled her. As she stood rigid, she became the calm eye in the center of a tornado of fury that swirled in a mass around her. The cold fingers of darkness gripped her fully, wiping out every feeling. Images roared in circular winds. Ronav's silken smile as he praised Khan for his fist to Kier's face, his serpent's voice as he counted lashings and instructed Khan to mutilate her. That same man, horror-stricken, as he cowered behind his chair, watching his comrade burn. The pregnant girl, unable to recall who the father of her child was, oblivious that she did not deserve to die. A little girl's father, petrified in fear, blood seeping from his throat. A village full of innocent people doomed to destroy each other. Then, finally, the howling storm touched down on Derry's face, emotionless no more, weeping as he took the blame for a dead girl and her dead baby. From somewhere outside herself, Kier saw Ronav standing across from her, watching her transformation with wide eyes and white knuckles, his weight shifting from foot to foot. 
Energy surged in her gut. Like a cloud of steam, it rose, and a burst of heat blasted straight up into her head. Someone is about to get what he deserves. That was her last thought as she rushed at him, and he blocked her sword so frantically he nearly dropped his. The crash reverberated off the trees. Not giving him time to recover, she danced in and out, drawing him closer, then forcing him back. Some sort of demon possessed her, and her attacks came hard and even, one after another, no time to breathe, to his left hip, to his sword arm, another overhead, to his thigh. Not trying to hurt him, just tire him out, weaken him, like a spider playing with its tortured prey. Ronav flailed. To his credit, he tried. She parried every one of his slashes with ease, as if he fought like a mere child. He hit the ground more than once as she dodged his sweeps with the agility of an elf. The only contact she allowed him was with her sword. "'I thought,' he panted, "'I thought a knight never broke a promise!' In desperation, he tried to dodge another slash, but it caught his hand, which bled nicely. She smiled. "'But I'm not a knight, you see, and I don't care!' His eyes were so white. "'Are you ready, Ronav?' She was nonchalant, hardly even breathing heavily. Death was on his face already. She basked in the fear she saw there. "'One!' She faked to the side, then whacked him on his shoulder. Her voice was swallowed by the trees. His color went from pallid to ashen as he turned frantically to witness the red ooze seeping from himself. Two. Her sword severed his weapon arm. His panic was glorious. Gripping her hilt, preparing to stab, she paused for the effect it would have on him. Her lips curled upward in a triumphant sneer. See you in hell, she laughed. <laughs> Three. She had to give him full marks for the way he just stood there waiting for the end. It must have been quite a sight to see the point of her blade fly toward him, the steel catching what little light reached through the trees. What had gone through his mind at the last when the tip touched and he felt it skewer him? A pity he couldn't have turned his head to see what it looked like as it exited his back just underneath his shoulder blade. Was he already dead when she withdrew it? Or had he heard the delightful, moist, bone-snapping, or the sucking noise as his lung collapsed when she jerked it free? And now, there he lay in the morning twilight, the deepening mist encircling his pathetic body like the smoke from a funeral pyre. Dead. So dead. She watched his blood stream in whorls, saw it mixing with the dirt and forming pools of dark reddish-brown mud. As his life flowed from him, so did the demon pass from her. Her mind returned from where it had been watching the proceedings from somewhere far above, and a gasp of shock escaped her. <gasps> Sword falling from her hand, she trembled. It intensified until her whole body shook uncontrollably. Her legs no longer had strength to hold her, and she dropped to the ground. Kneeling in the dirt, only her hands preventing her face from landing there as well, she gasped for air and could not stop shaking. Then a large set of arms embraced her, and she didn't reject them. The scent of him was familiar, yet she couldn't place it. But he held her close and breathed deeply, and soon she found she could match him. 
She breathed with him, and finally, after what had to be hours, she was calm and was able to see who had lifted her out of her madness. Janik The dwarf's features had softened, showing not distaste, not derision, but compassion. Kier felt only shame. I killed him. He was my enemy, and I killed him. It wasn't even in self-defense. I hated him. I sought him out. I waited for him, and I killed him. She found Janik's eyes. I don't ever want to do that again. It doesn't feel as good as you think it's going to. His eyes clouded over as if a distant memory had been awakened. Still, and he was back with her again, Roan have had altogether too much influence on your life lately. There are not many who could bear what you have borne and yet remain in full possession of themselves. He released her and got to his feet, pulling the forks of his beard back into the preferred position. I would suggest that you return to the inn and have a cup of ale, or see if there is any wine. It will do you good. I'll clean up here. She nodded, rising, and turned to go, but stopped. Janik! He gave her a warning glare. Shut up. be fantastic.